Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Welcome to Mythmakers. Mythmakers is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. My name is Julia Golding. I'm the director of the centre, but I also spend most of my life being an author writing in many different genres for all different age groups, but very often returning to the genre of fantasy. I've been deeply inspired by Tolkien all my writing life, so it was a great excitement that I saw that uh, Amazon Prime were making a series based on the second age of Tolkien. Now, the Oxford Centre for Fantasy runs creative courses, and the students have kept together after the courses to uh, keep as a group of creatives supporting each other, a sort of modern form of inklings, and to mark the arrival of the Amazon series, we had a first reaction gathering where we could share our views. So if you want to listen to what fellow fans were thinking, please listen on because what we've done in this is first part of it is I explain where the material in the series seems to depart from what you would find in the sort of canonical, you know, Tolkien material. Uh, So if you've wondered about that, it's a very brief guide about the differences between what you can find in the Silmarillion and the appendices and the Amazon series. But then you can listen to the views exchanged on what we made of the series. And perhaps you can also add in your own comments at the end if you agree with us. We complete our discussion with our star rating. So stay tuned to find out if we think it's a hit or a miss. Thank you very much and enjoy our discussion. So, um, welcome everybody to the early reaction to the Rings of Power series based on um, Tolkien's material. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little introduction just to say what they're doing in the story that is based on the appendices. Uh, and Silmarillion, and where it differs, in case you're interested in what's going on. Um, Only briefly, not not absolutely to deep nerd level. Um, There's bound to be YouTube videos out there about that. But I'll just give you the broad brushstrokes of the kind of decisions they're making, which I thought was really fascinating. And then I was going to ask you for your reactions about in, in three areas. So have a think about this. The first one is your reactions to the story. 
you know, did you enjoy watching it? The second uh, is your reaction to the performance of the actors embodying these characters. And the last one is the creative realization of it, the special effects, the looks, the music, and so on. So have a think. Um, hopefully people will disagree. We don't all want to say, oh, yes, it was wonderful or no, it was terrible. So be, don't worry if you don't agree with other people, because that's what we want. We want discussion about it. So first of all, just to give you a sort of little bit of background, um, you probably all know that the rights for talking material are, you know, Byzantine. Um so they're only allowed to do certain things. And as I understand it, um, they've sort of got rights to second age material. Tolkien's world is described in, well, it's four ages, really. So the first age is from the creation of, the, well, I suppose creation comes even before the first age. But there's a creation, then there's the first age, which is really dominated by the, the Silmarillion, the Silmarils, which are a jewel made by the elves, and the wars about that, and the defeat of the big baddie of them all, who's a character called Morgoth. Then once he's defeated, then there's the Second Age, and this is where uh, the Rings of Power sit. And coming up is the captain, Sauron, who's like taking over, and he's now the big baddie. And this is the age when um, sort of elves, men, and wolves are all living alongside each other. And that age, age completes with the battle that you see at the start of the Lord of the Rings films, when the ring is cut from the hand of Sauron. Okay. The third age which is very long, we only see the end of it in Lord of the Rings, is the age um, of the rise and fall of Gondor, really, with the hobbits kind of establishing, them, establishing themselves in the Shire. And that age ends when the ring is destroyed. And we are sort of living in the fourth age. So that's that's the kind of outline. So they've got the middle bit, they got, well, not middle, but they got the second age of that. Um, so they've obviously made the decision to follow a composite cast in the same way as you do in Fellowship of the Ring, but they're, they're starting with Galadriel. And the main things where this series works with the book and differs from the book hang around that character. So. If you've watched the first two episodes, you'll have seen Galadriel is realized as a warrior who um, is fighting, is basically aware of the returning evil and trying to persuade others that it's coming back. So, yes, in Tolkien's material, Galadriel does start over in Valinor. She's really, really old, really, really old already by the second age, which are kind of, because the actress is so beautiful and young, young looking, but she's one of the oldest people around at the time. She was one of four children of whom one of those is the brother who appears at the beginning of the series. Um, her brother, Finrod, he dies in one of the hidden kingdoms of the elves. The elves had these hidden kingdoms. He dies in Nargothrond. 
as do her other two brothers die in other battles. So she does has she has seen death. That's true. But in terms of Tolkien's story, she's not this warrior figure. She spends most of the first age in a place called Doriath alongside this figure called Melian, who's like a, a bit like Gandalf. He's a, she's a sort of um, archangel type. It's not, that's not the right word, but she's kind of semi, semi-divine. She's not quite normally um, elven or human or anything. Um, she's not really junior to Gilgalad, who's the high king, in terms of the Tolkien version of this. Uh, so she's not the sort of swashbuckling warrior that's been realised. She does fight, but her fight is more like a leader deciding where the armies go, rather than, rather than that rather elegant snow troll um, moment, which I loved, but, you know, it, she, it's not kind of in the in the book. Um, and she, of course, has her mental warfare of having one of the rings to keep evil at bay. So she is a fighter, but just not quite the lovely warrior that we see. Um, it's also not mentioned that she's under a curse or a doom, because the reason the elves end up in Middle Earth is because it's like a um, it's a it's a a fight over the Silmarils, and they leave to go and reclaim them. But there's some kin slaying that goes on, and so they're under a, uh, a a sort of doom where she can't go back to Valinor. So the element in the story where this is in, I think it's, yeah, it's in the first episode. So hopefully everyone's seen that. Where they said, oh, it's okay, you you lot can go back to Valinor. Actually, Galadriel, that would be really problematic for her because she's still under this doom. And it, that is that is another moment for that to be lifted. Um, and also they've missed out poor old Celeborn. He's been cut because she actually meets him in the first stage. And they they're in love and live very happily for centuries. Not always together, but they're they're an item um, for centuries, way before the series starts. But of course, the story reason for getting rid of him is it's more exciting to see her as a free agent. Whereas if she's got like Kellyborn kind of alongside it, you can see how that doesn't work. So he's been cut. Um, so there are the big differences there. When you look at the other stories they're following, the overall impression that, yes, Galadriel is aware of the return of evil and warns against Sauron, that is correct. That's where they're sticking to the script. Um, the idea that the men feel they're sort of under the elven boots, kind of, maybe, an interesting but actually, it's the Numenorians, if you want to be technical, who kind of are a bit more like the colonizing force at this time. And we haven't even reached the Numenorians. But I suppose you could say some men would have felt that. Harfoots, the proto-hobbits. Yes, of course, the hobbits must have had some ancestors around, but very little is known about them, which I suppose is quite good for a storytelling point of view, because they can just kind of do anything with them as long as they're not really super visible um it seems right that they would be a nomadic culture and you can see the choice of having a conservatism which you see in the hobbits when they're settled even within the halfoots you've got the idea you don't leave the trail so there's there's they stick together as a group so yeah that all seems to to fit um 
invented is Arondir and Bronwyn, that storyline. But I don't know if you've noticed, they live in the place which later becomes on the map. Anybody spot where? They're living basically in what becomes Mordor. Um, or in that very, that region or the Brownlands. So the the origins of evil that you see there with the sort of, you know, the cow with the black milk and everything, you can see the turning of those lands. So, you know, the, the omens are not great for their society. So that's a little sense of where it's following a track. I think the broad brushstrokes are sort of on within the Tolkien world, but there is a lot of particularly Galadriel like reimagining her to do a different job, um, which probably is sending some people, you know, crazy. But that that's basically what they're doing. So I'm not going to give a view on whether it's good or bad to do that. I'd like to hear how you felt. And this is where it goes over to you to discuss what was your feeling about um, the story? Did you find it fun or did you find it too slow? Who would like to chip in with an, an early reaction? Nancy, off you go. So I do like it. I've watched both episodes twice. I... um. I feel like we're in Middle Earth, which was a really important thing. Um, I I really like the relationship between Elrond and Durin, and that we're going to get to see Khazad-dûm at its height. I like that development. I really had a problem with Galadriel and the others being offered to go to Valinor um not only because the way they made it look so I find those those female elves with the veils on really creepy (laughs) and I'm like I don't understand what that is about and so I was thinking about this last night after watching it for the the second episode for the second time that um Really, Gladriel is the only female elf we get to see her face, basically. And I know she's the star, but it's very weird to me. And I was like, I mean, part of the reason why, you know, when we see Gladriel at the mirror with Frodo and she gets all big and bad and then she comes back to herself and she's like, I passed the test. I can go into the West. I mean, part, the thing, the reason that's so impactful is because she had been banned from Valinor and had had to protect her little slice of Elvendom and was fighting Sauron that entire time with the help of the, with Nar, Nenya, Narya. Um, and or Nenya and um and so she does pass the test and become forgiven you know so by allowing her the opportunity to go back to Valinor like right at the very beginning I think it takes away from that um I don't have a problem with her being this warrior 
Um, Tolkien did say she was, you know, really strong and he called her name was like man maiden. Mm. And um, so I don't really have a problem with that. I'm not, I was thinking about the whole Kelleborn thing too last night that he could still be there. He could be, you know, because he's, they're not always together, like you said, you know, and he could be off on his own doing the whole, you know, founding Lorian thing or whatever. So I just, um, so I don't have a problem with them making her like this, but um, I did kind of have a problem with um, Gilgalad and him saying that evil was gone, you know, like he seemed an Elrond, they both seem like politicians sort of, you know, and I guess they would be. And I guess even in the Lord of the Rings, Elrond was a bit of a politician. I mean, and, but to dismiss it so offhand, you know, just because, you know, she said she found clues, but I don't know, that whole thing just seemed weird to me. Um, I love the Hobbits, the Harfoots. Um, I love the Harfoots. I love this mystery man who it does seem it is who I think it is. And I projected a while back that who it would be, but I'm wondering if they're going, I don't know if I want to spoil that, but I I'm wondering if, if they're leading us on with that. Um, but I like the way the Harfoots are being portrayed and they seem very natural. I mean, the elves are the ones that felt most stilted to me where the humans and the the um Harfoot seemed very uh real um uh, uh i'm not sure about the the elf human relationship right off the bat and i'm also worried that you know this thing between galadriel and um halbrand uh, they're hinting at something and i don't think they should go there but um, you know, so far I really, I'm happy with the way it looks. I I'm happy with the, most of the characters, the way they are. And I mean, there's, I, I think I heard there's only eight episodes and that's a lot to develop in the first season. And what, what had worried me was in seeing the previews there was a whole lot going on very early, you know, like they really jumped the timeline. Like I know they said they can, am I frozen? No, (laughs) it said they compressed it, but I think they may be compressing it too much. So um, I don't know about the, the naked man, but I had my, I've got a kind of either or, So I was thinking, well, it'd be fun to use that guy as the Hobbit introducing Sauron. You know, it could be Sauron, who's kind of fallen angel, fallen from the sky, Lucifer figure. But because he's, and also it looks like an eye, you know, the sort of in the middle of that thing. But then when I actually saw him, I thought, oh, he's definitely channeling a kind of Gandalf the Grey grunge. So maybe he's a wizard and he starts being a bit scary and actually, that's the classic thing to do, isn't it? If it's if he actually turns out to be good, you start him a bit scary. Whereas if you, if he was going to be Sauron, you'd start him being really nice. I, I um, do think he 
and do it the other way. So my money's shifted yeah. being if I'm in Vegas, I'm going to put him on the wizard Gandalf chip, I think. I don't know. What do other people think? Because we don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm... especially. Anybody? So Katya, you've got your hand up. What, what's your view? Yeah, so I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I was very apprehensive. They, they wouldn't be respectful to Tolkien, but they were, in my opinion, more respectful than not. I am totally in love with the couple of the woman healer and the guard elf. Um, and it did surprise me because I think they've been totally imagined for the Amazon show. But I liked the chemistry that they had. I liked the individual characters. Um, I think out of all of the elves, the guard for me had the most elvish behavior that I would expect because I was very disappointed by almost all other elves. Um, Elrond. I, yeah, uh, I was not convinced by the actor. Um, he didn't seem enough elvish to me. <laughs> uh, but I did like the dwarves, uh, the Harfoots. And uh, yeah, generally found it's very visually appealing. Kind of divided on Galadriel. Didn't like her in the first episode. Liked her very much on in the second, way more in the second episode. Um, but I also tried, uh, it, it's, yeah. It's kind of difficult for me to judge it uh, with a lot of precision uh, because I'm not that familiar with all of the prehistory of the Middle Earth. Uh, so, yeah, uh, more happy, way more happy than I thought I would be and love uh, the elf and uh, human couple. Generally, I'm always a sucker for a, a difficult love story. Um, so I'm for now, I'm mostly here to, to follow this couple. It's like my main interest for now. Now, that's really fascinating because they're the couple, uh, when they come on the screen, I think, oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm less interested in them, though I do like his breastplate. I spend a lot of time looking at it, thinking, oh, it's a green man. Um, oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I think finally the costumes were very nice, but I was a bit disappointed by the armor of the elves. I would expect more of intricate metal work uh, on their armor, and it's very plain to me. But yeah, it's the kind of nitpicking. Yeah, we we it's fun to nitpick there. That's what we're yeah. here to do. <laughs> I mean, why not? Uh, Rowan, you've got also had a hand raised what was your reaction um so potentially controversial in a room full of such dedicated uh, Tolkien fans and fans of literature and the books um as am I obviously but when I was younger I was super critical of any um film or tv show that did not replicate exactly the book I had just read it ruined it for me if I did not see an exact, like, the same version of that story on that screen. As I've got older, I could not be less interested in seeing an exact copy of the book on screen. Um, and, like, I think it that's come with having a different understanding of art now and also, like, studying film and studying TV a bit more and like learning the differences between like writing for, you know, writing a novel, writing short stories, writing for TV, writing for film. I'm a bit more sympathetic to TV and film writers now in knowing that 
every scene has to have something, you know, there has to be, you know, it's, and Tolkien was not a writer who condensed things. <laughs> he, he was not, not a writer who condensed things. Um, and you have to do that in TV um, and you have to, every single scene has to have that, has to have something, you know, with film, it has to have something in it. So while there were some things um, that I was like, oh, you know, the, the Tolkien nerd in me went a little bit, oh, you know, like, um, you know, going to uh, Valinor and, you know, think, you know, going back there, I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit odd. Um, and then I thought, yeah, you know what, though? I can see why they've done it. Um, I sort of look at it with very different, you know, different hats now, I guess, I wear when I'm watching something on TV. Um, so I really loved it. Um, I like what Nancy said about feeling like you're in Middle Earth, because I, I got that feeling too. That was one of the most important thing for me, I think. Um, not it being a uh, exact copy of the characters that were written um, in the books and not it being the exact sort of, you know, law that was in the books, but more that feeling of Middle Earth, that feeling of going home um, was the most important thing for me. And I definitely got that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. I think with seeing, um, characters as well that we've got to know through reading the books and also watching like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, seeing new actors take on those roles is always going to be a bit, even at a different time is always going to be a bit jarring at first. You know, you sort of have to, um, re-familiarize yourself with that character again because you're seeing them on screen but it's you know it's a different actor they're bringing something completely different to the character and I, I understand like people's sort of um, reactions like Alrond especially like but I think we will become familiar with them again we will you know you know become acquainted with them and that uh, um, this um, portrayal of of him and the other characters as well but it, it does definitely have that sort of jarring feeling at first um but yeah I think that'll I think that'll come in time um I think it's picking up on your point about Elrond there is I didn't see him as a politician I saw him as a diplomat as an ex-diplomat mm -hmm. what he was doing particularly in the second episode is He's clearly doing the ambassador role. And I like that because I thought, oh, this is, this is a really interesting way of explaining his role in Middle Earth um, because of his half elven. You know, I thought that was, I really enjoyed that. We've had a correction from Nancy, who is our absolute expert. Um, so, you know, far more expert than I am. Um, Bronwyn and Arondir are in Tir Harad. I was getting a bit kind of map. Can you get map queasy as it gets swooping over the map? I couldn't quite follow where they were going, which she says she thinks is near Harad, which is obviously southern. Um, so maybe their, their land is okay, though infested with oliphants, maybe. Oh, yeah, my money's on Gandalf. Sorry, Alexandra. I, yeah, my that's where I'm putting my, my money. It was the, but again, it could be a red herring. Like it's one of those things. But yeah. it, for me, I was like, this feels a lot like, 
she feels a lot like Gandalf. And then it was the whispering to the fireflies. I was like, okay, that's a very clear callback. I think this is Gandalf. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what I'm putting my money on. Or a blue wizard about whom we know not very much. You know, always go for the ones about whom you know nothing. Well, he says he says something like mana ure when he speaks. And I think Ure is the name of um, the creator, Yuvatar, or something like that. You're very good if you can if you can actually interpret what he's saying. I I, I should put the captions on for that bit. Uh, Alex, um, you've also had got yes. to share with us. I actually love the the TV show, obviously, and I wanted to come back on the Bronwyn Bronwyn Orangier, sorry. That was something I found very clever because for me, it's showing the evil and Sauron without showing it. And I think it was a, a good way of like kind of subtle-ish because well, I guess we all picked that up. But it's a good way of showing him without having to go too much into portraying the actual evil right now because everybody's looking for him, but you still have to have him somewhere. even if, But you can't show it because otherwise the whole Galadriel quest uh, is useless, I guess, if you know exactly where he is. So I kind of like that. And on the acting, I feel like, I don't know if it's just me, but it's been a while having seen actors bring me directly and so vividly into the old world. I for I didn't, I didn't have to come back for a second. When I saw Galadriel's face, I knew it was her immediately. I didn't have a second of like, hmm, she be it was like obvious and I think I had that feeling for most of the characters so I think they did very well in casting in finding actors that kind of look like the older version of themselves and still are good because they could have just picked someone that looks like and will do the job somehow people will find it I guess but I don't know they they look like them and they also play well so I think it's kind of well I, I thought that Nori actually has almost like Elijah Wood eyes. You know, I, you know, you were saying so. You you got Galadriel. You think, yeah, that's that kind of works. And I was looking at Nori. She's got these one mesmer as I talk about the eyes of the young Galadriel. Like when that first started, I thought, my goodness, this this girl is just astonishing. You know, oh, and they've done some very that. good casting picks. I think. Uh, and I was wondering about, about Nori that he's a brandy food. Wondering if there's any relation to the brandy box, actually. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The name, the name is the kind of like, like they've taken a bit of one name and put it with a bit of another. Bit. Exactly, yeah, and my money is on Gandalf as well. But, uh, well, it'd be very funny when, when we come. But we should meet back at the end of the series and have another chat about it. Once we've given the whole story arc. Um, and once we've lost all our money, like we've all been proven <laughs> wrong or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's <completely> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I'm watching, I keep throwing out random things like, oh, maybe that little boy turns out to be the mouth of Sauron. You know, the one who's got um, Bronwyn's picked up. Because he's got quite, you know, he, he's got a bad, wicked thing and he's a, he's, he's a, he's a man, so he's going to be, he's doomed. Um, anyway, probably none of these things will come to pass. But anyway, it's quite fun to guess. So um, some of you have mentioned already some performances. So we've sort of 
most people are quite happy with story choices because absolutely like Rowan, you do different things when you're making a TV show. Absolutely. And you put in a few really handsome elves like a Rondier and we're all happy, you know, why not? Um, but what about the actual acting performances? I, I've i seen, there was um, one of the newspapers here gave it like a one star. And I thought, how can you give it a one star? It was like the Daily Mail or something. My uh, family pointed it out to me. Definitely, I thought the acting was great. And I particularly liked, I mean, they're all, there's nobody to fault at all. I particularly liked Galadriel's acting when she said nothing. So like in the scenes when Gil-Galad is saying, off you go, evil's over, off you go. You could see within an elven restraint, her utter, kind of the force of the emotion. I thought she did a fantastic job. So she gets a shout out from me. Anybody else want to give a shout out for some of the performances? Christina. Well, I was keeping quiet because I've only almost finished the first episode, but I thought of all the things, I'm still warming up to the series in general, like the story and the feel of it, because for me, the feel, I'm still, I'm getting used to it because it has a lot of the modern serious feel rather than the Lord of the Rings movie feel, which is clearly, it's just a different medium. So it's going to feel different. But I thought that in terms of acting, it actually was really, really nice. I really liked it. Maybe I'm just going to guess, maybe the reason they gave the one star is because they didn't get the same feel. But I think it's more about the fact that it's a different interpretation. First of all, you get different actors and different interpretations, which is always going to feel different. And if you're used to people, like if you're used to Elrond from the Lord of the Rings films, you're going to have to re get reused to the new Elrond. Yeah, they I, I, I completely disagree with the one-star review. I yeah. love the acting. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a political choice, knowing the newspaper, you know, they're, they're having a let's let's get it, Amazon. Um, Possibly. Or they sent along their critic who hates fantasy, because obviously that would be a disaster if they only like kind of Mike Lee films or something, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so what about the creative um, realisation of it? We know that I think Weta Workshop were involved, but they didn't They didn't sort of get Peter Jackson along to sort of advise, but it clearly is owing a lot architecturally and everything to the original look of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, but were you happy with the feel of the places? And some of you already said you felt like you were in Middle Earth. Anything else you want to say about costumes, music, uh, sets, locations? Elizabeth, what did you think? You're muted. I'm getting a sign to be muted. Um, No, thank you for asking that question. And I'm going to give a very simple observation and it, it meets with what you're asking. That's what drew me. I was loving it. And then I really loved it when I became aware of the music. And there was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm really totally into this because the music is very important to me. 
And, um, uh, and I can't really cite exactly, you know, when and where that happened, but, um, that, that kind of linked me to the Peter Jackson films, not continually, but, um, yeah. So the, the theme music, which you only hear in full, if you go into the second episode, um, Mm -hmm. by the way. So maybe it was then. The title sequence isn't run in the first one, um, is by Howard Shaw who mm. did the music for Lord of the Rings films. Okay. Um, and yeah. then the other music is by somebody called, I think it's Ben Neris. I might not be saying his his or her name correctly. Um, but there's you can listen to the soundtrack on Spotify, which we did as we were driving home from our holiday. And there's some really good um, music in there. I particularly liked, I didn't like the scene, but I liked the music. When they're going to Valinor, which looks like death to me. It looks yeah. like the thing, yeah, it looked like that's my problem with it. Um, but the song that they say they've all got inside them, they all started singing. I thought that was beautifully done because that tune was played earlier. So you're already prepared. And so when they started singing it, that was a very magical moment. I thought I did it really nicely. Though I did think Gladwell could have done with a better plan than just jumping off the boat and having to swim back. I did laugh actually. That was the moment where it broke the the sort of yeah. I thought okay, that's a bit daft. But anyway, she's an elf. She she's she's good at swimming. She'll be fine. Sort yeah, I was. Gonna, I will add one other comment. Again, more general than uh, directing at one specific thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I did. I did find it magical i did um the the movement of the scenes and you know what you how you were introduced to it you know for lack of a better expression i did did find it tolkien like magical you know and hopefully like that so because i was going to be disappointed if it wasn't yeah i didn't feel moved that way i was going to really be disappointed so we just have a, a final little moment on costumes before we sort of do a roundup of, of a out of five stars kind of thing. Um, somebody's already mentioned, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forget who it was, said that they thought the armour was a bit plain, um, not quite up to snuff. You'd have thought they'd have some elven scripts and, you know, they spend a lot of that on their weapons maybe. Um, but does anyone have anything they'd like to mention about sort of the dressing of the characters i mean a really strong look is the um the hobbits who are all having a terribly bad hair day or a good hair day if if that's if you like kind of dreadlocks with acorns <laughs> it's quite fun i thought i i the one thing i would say about the harfoots is i wish they wouldn't give the women Loads of skirts and trousers. Kind of pick a side, pick a lane, um, because it seems really unnecessary to go around with a great big skirt and then kilt it up. <laughs> that bugged me. <laughs> Katya, you've got a view. Yeah, I have more of a question actually because I remember, but I'm uh, that uh, I don't remember the exact phrase that Tolkien was using. So the normally the uh, the the 
women dwarves are supposed to have beards or there was like a rumor that they were supposed to have a beard, um, the, the beards. What was the Tolkien's uh, position on that? Do you, do you know? Because I expected them to have beards, but I knew from the previous that they wouldn't have. And I thought that would be interesting visual to, to have. Uh, yeah, but maybe it's not even part of the official canon. And uh, Nancy might know the answer. I've, I've got a feeling that is a, a vague mention of it. But mm-hmm. did you notice that Disa had a little bit of a sideburn going on? Oh, no, I haven't noticed Yeah, yeah. so there's a, there's a nod. She's got like a little beard. So there's ah. with it. Yeah. Only yeah. very subtle. And it, she's ah, a pretty okay, lady, okay. so it doesn't make a difference, you know. It's, it's yeah. fine. Dancy, is, different- there a, is there a canonical answer on beards or not beards? <laughs> Have you got a, a view on that, Nancy? Yeah. Can I, am I breaking up? Because I a little bit. Was... Just carry carry on, though. You're fine again now. Uh, okay. So Tolkien did say that. Um, well, he kind of said that there were female dwarves, but you didn't see them because they, they looked like the male dwarves, and they ha- did have beards, and so that was one of the things that a lot of the fans are, were complaining about because Disa did have like a little bit here, but in that scene where they're chopping the rocks, none of the other female dwarves had beards. So I think it is going to be a sticking point for true dwarf fans. But I, I thought the Dwarven kingdom was better realized than the Elven kingdom. I mean, I, Costumes were really elaborate and layered and nuanced and love and home with the We saw the Elven cities from a distance. Maybe that's why I feel this way because we didn't really get to see, they were always outside. We didn't really get to see any structures really close up. I think Elven cities always look incredibly drafty. <laughs> You know, they don't feel like real places, do they? Whereas the Dwarf Kingdom, I really enjoyed seeing the the mirrors that were used to bring the light down so they could do agriculture. They just walked past it. I love that. You're right. There was sort of detail there. We should round up our conversation. Just take Elizabeth uh, and I'm going to ask you for your kind of four out of five vote. If you could put it um, in the chat, we can do an overall score from us um from the project northmore creatives oxford center for fantasy creators so elizabeth what was your little comment you were going to have there so way back when um when you were envisioning with all of us on project northmore you put up a post and said well it was way back at the very beginning what what are you wondering about and it's just like a you know pub curiosity question the the dwarf women and the beard but mainly over and above that, I'm more interested in the fact that they weren't visible, really. They didn't have a, a role. I think that's more fascinating than, you know, what they look like, basically, um, which are very nice looking, by the way, in the in the new production. Um, but I so just, you know, like weird curiosity, like, OK, I'm going to look up online and see if I can see any images of a dwarf woman with a beard. And um, one creative person did it very nicely, actually. They had their hair kind of grown, you know, longer and braided in the front like this, sort of like a beard, you know, visually like it'd be in front, but it wasn't really a beard, but it 
So who knows what beard means, right? Indeed. On that poser. <laughs> so just while you come up with your, we're, we're giving it a, a sort of score out of five stars. Okay. So if you like to um, put in your score, we'll have an overall total. But um, my husband came up with a summary I rather liked, which I thought I'd share with you. So he said, right, so that means the dwarves are Scottish, the hobbits are Irish, the elves are Welsh, the men are English, and the money is American. Which I thought was a great summary, because if you actually follow the accents as somebody native to here, Galadriel's a bit Welsh. So it works. Okay. So let me go through. Oh, it's pretty good. We got one, two, three, four. I would say we're giving it about 4.2 out of five. Um, so between four and five, which I think Amazon can be quite happy about. Okay. Not that they're going to care because there's enough money there to take a hit. But um, we seem fairly happy with it. And I, for one, are certainly going to follow it all the way through. And if some of it makes me laugh, well, that's fine. But mostly I'm just enjoying seeing more images and more very clever people creatively reinterpreting Tolkien's world so good I really hope they carry on and good luck to them um so my final bet the end of the second episode Galadriel is about to be scooped up out of the sea I'm hoping that that's going to be a Numenorean ship I know she doesn't in the book go to Numenor as far I'm aware but maybe she does um so that's my bet anybody else got a bet who's on the ship Nancy, have you got a view? Or she may know. Nancy's often got the inside track. Anyway, so we'll find out. I think I don't have the inside track, but I think it's Isildur. Oh, so that would be Numenorian. Um, in that he was one of the, the elf friends. Yeah, well, that's even more specific than than my my punt. Okay, thank you everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. We'll reconvene to have a sort of final kick around. I suppose it's going to be like November or something when it finishes. Um, so we can have a chat and a, how it all went. So thank you very much for joining me this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. fun. If you enjoyed this discussion, you may like to join us on either one of our in-person courses here in Oxford or come on the uh, six-week Introduction to Fantasy writing course, which starts in October, or even if you're further on in your writing journey, the Novel in the Year course. The next one of those starts in January. Do visit our website to find out more details. But for the moment, thank you very much for listening to Mythmakers. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. 
Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies, and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.